Kiat Mila Falsha. A hundred thousand welcomes from Visit Scotland. A podcast meeting people and sharing stories from the country that we love. Today, nature, scenery and landscape. Welcome to Scotland. I'm Neil Robertson, a Scottish travel writer and blogger. And for this episode, I've headed north into the Cairngorms National Park in the East Central Highlands. You'll find this place between Aberdeen and Inverness. It's an outdoor mecca, this place. It's for everyone, though. There's whiskey distilleries, there's wildlife, there's mountains, and there's beautiful, beautiful forests. I want to give you just a flavour of Britain's largest national park. And the first people I'm going to speak to know plenty about immersing yourself in the outdoors. Um, so we're actually here on a beautiful day. The sun is shining up on the mountains. It looks absolutely spectacular. Meet the Cairngorms wild swimmers. Some of the hardiest swimmers you'll find in the country. And um, water temperature is probably up to about six, maybe even seven degrees. So I say up because, you know, we have had it completely frozen. So that is... Um, Yeah, that's a lot warmer. (laughs) No wetsuits, just bikinis and bobble hats. These guys are in Loch Morlick throughout the year in all conditions. (laughs) 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 Looking at the water at Loch Morlick, this crazy bunch of bobbing heads with swimming caps on. Absolutely loving it. And at the moment we're talking about maybe 10 or 11 degrees, so it's actually quite mild. And these guys do this all year round, so for them this is relatively easy. But they actually do it when the loch is iced over, which is a whole new level of crazy. Oh, some adjectives at me. How do you feel? Invigorated, alive, tingling all over. How do you feel, Phil? A little cold. <laughs> Mostly alive and kind of... I'm alive! <laughs> and how long does this last, this feeling, by the way? Uh, well, it's intense now, but the whole day you'll feel like just a bit better. Try and swim every day I can. Okay. Thank you for that, guys. I can almost believe that's a really good idea. I was a bit dubious, but you've convinced me. And uh, thanks so much for your time. Judging by the colour of their skin, I think those guys really need a cup of tea in them. But what an incredible landscape I'm standing on at the moment. A sandy beach right on a lochside. It's remarkable. Fortuitous, then, that my next guest is a geologist and knows a thing or two about this stuff. I'm Vicky and I'm a geologist and I also absolutely love the mountains. And for me, the Cairngorms is basically Britain's Arctic, isn't it? So it's a wild, it's pretty much heather and granite. So what can you tell us about the geology? Because I suspect this all goes back many, many years. It does, yeah. And I guess there's a bit of competition for Scotland's Arctic, but this is definitely the place that can actually have that claim to fame. So the Cairngorms itself has got quite a varied geology, actually, and probably started about 800 million years ago with the laying down of the first sands, which then become some of the sandstones and mudstones that we have here. 
the classic Cairngorms is the granite, as you've already said. And that started life as molten rock that intruded into those sediments. And as the tectonic plate that Scotland sits on moved around the earth, actually Scotland used to be at the equator. It was tropical and roasting, which actually today, being a gorgeous day, it's not too hard to imagine. And that sort of warmer weather helped weather away all those sediments and actually expose the granites that we have now. And some of the features that we can see today, so some of the quarries and things like that, those kind of deep weathered bowls and cliffs were caused by the Ice Age. So that's what's been fairly recent history, so only two and a half million years ago to maybe about 30,000 years ago. And that sort of freeze-thaw action has given us that classic landscape of the Cairngorms that we know and love. So I'm a big history fan and I love looking at things like medieval Scottish castles and, and, and the kind of wars of independence, that, those kind of chapters in Scottish history. But this just puts all of that right into perspective. This is so much further back. This is time in action. How does that feel to you? Yeah, so what you're talking about is really modern, actually, yeah. compared to the hills. <laughs> so, yeah, I think you really get a sense of that, um, that length of time that it's taken for the hills to form. You know, you're kind of up there, you can see these quarries, you can see where the glaciers have cleaved all that um, rock and, and still see it forming. You know, it changes all the time. So sometimes you'll be walking in places that you are really familiar with and something will have changed, a rockfall might have happened or a landslip. And as you start to walk up and through the landscape, you get that sense of geology, you can feel things changing underfoot. Um, and it is like walking back through time a little bit. You know you know that people have walked there for many hundreds of years and will continue to after we've gone. And actually, it really gives you that sense of you know, time immemorial. You know that those mountains have been there for millions and millions of years and will be as well. So, yeah, yeah it's beautiful. And of the Monroes of the Cairngorms, do any particular memories stand out? Yeah, I've had some of my best days, you know, when you're going up a hill for the first time, you kind of know what the feelings are going to be like, but you don't always know what the views are going to be like. And sometimes you'll come over a summit and actually you'll see hills and hills laid out before you. And I think for me, some of my favourite days out in the Cairngorms have been climbing some of the giants, actually. So some of the biggest hills, because it's effort to get up there and actually you're looking down on some of the glens, the quarries, you really get that perspective of height and distance. You can see for miles and miles and miles, you know, you can almost see the four corners of Scotland from up there and that is just, you know, a fantastic thing. So not only the achievement of being on the summit but actually getting those incredible views as well. So that's why I come back and back and back. And it's interesting that you should say that because we're just about to jump in the car and go and speak with David Russell, who's a local writer and photographer and who's going to introduce us to some of those epic vistas and explain how to capture the perfect shot. And I think us hillwalkers should stick together, so how about you join us? I'd love to, thank you. It's a beautiful evening and I'm following a map reference to the middle of nowhere to follow in the footsteps of one of Scotland's great pioneering writers. This is David Russell. He's a photographer and writer. The black pointy one here, that's Carnelrig, and then almost directly behind it. And when he's not planning adventure holidays with Wilderness Scotland, he's out exploring this great landscape year round. Very round hill, isn't it? particular summit. Right, so this should be a really good spot. Uh, we've got a great view here uh, of Bray Rake, and just with the forest in the foreground, it just creates a nice sense of depth and the light 
coming from the side just looks absolutely ideal for just now. Stunning. It's massive as well. We've got a huge vista in front of us. Yeah, well, that, that, the, uh, the mountain right in front of us is Breiriek, which is the third highest mountain in, in all of Britain. And, uh, you know, there's, there's only um, a handful of, of peaks that approach that height, and most of them are, are in front of us right now. So the, the, the second highest is just to the left of it, Ben McDewey, and then there's only one more in Scotland that's higher, and that's out on the west coast, and it's called Ben Nevis. And we found a very precious spot right here, off the beaten track, off-road. So if you were setting up your camera just now, what would you be looking to pick out? What are the key tips, particularly if you're a bit of a novice? Okay, so I'd say the first thing that you're looking to do is you're trying to find good light. And you should always, always let the light dictate what type of photograph you try to create, never the other way around. You know, tonight we've got fairly clear skies. We've got evening light. It's nice and kind of golden, bluey, you know, raking angles from the side picking out all the little details in the, you know, in the texture of the landscape. So it's a great day to try a big wide shot today because the whole thing looks beautiful. If it was raining, we'd be trying something else. Landscape photographers are the eternal optimist and there's always something that you can get, but you should always, you should always let the light decide what it is. So what we want to try and do foremost is try and find something that's very, very simple. We've got about 3 million trees and half a dozen mountains in front of us. Uh, so out of that, we want to maybe just try and find a little bit of it that sums up the whole thing. Let's take a photo then. So we've got this fabulous tree in the foreground, which we can put to good use. What angle would you choose from here? So, okay, let's have a wee think about this. Ah, uh, yeah, no. So we've got we've got quite a, a you know quite an impressive mature rowan tree. When we're sort of constructing an image, we want to, want to kind of think about different layers mm -hmm. in the image. And uh, what I'd normally be trying to do is to see if I can come up with sort of between three and six different layers of depth. So for instance, the first one would be, you know, what's right in front of our feet. And then the last one would be the mountain in the background. And then like, you know, those trees in the distance would be an intermediate one. So if we're going to shoot a big tree like this, that's going to be kind of the primary subject in our photograph. So yeah. we want to find an angle where it's well lit and we can put layers behind it that work well and it's a fairly pleasing composition. I'm just looking for different elements that I might be able to bring into it. So working from the bottom this time, I've got a few different things you know, right before my feet that I can work with. So we've got these you know, beautiful, colourful, old dead bracken fronds here right in the foreground. Then we've got the big tree, the big round itself, and then we've got all the background. And the nice thing that I've got with me is I've got a fairly wide-angled lens. Wide-angled lenses, I think, are a little bit misunderstood. People tend to use them to try and fit it all in. And that's not really the way to use them. The, the, the thing that a wide-angle lens is good for is getting really, really close to something and still fitting it in. So if you get super close to a tree, eventually you'll see nothing but bark. But if you've got a, a good wide angle lens, you can still get relatively close and still have the whole tree in. So, okay. uh, so that's what we'll try and use. Let's have a photo then, let's see what we can do. So with this scene, you know, I'm just kind of looking through the lens, seeing how it looks, take a few test shots. This looks, um, this looks all right, actually. I think what I want to do is just get closer still. 
what I really want to focus on is these um, are these nicely lit little fronds of bracken right down on the ground. So this is all right actually. So I think what I probably want to do is move where I know that there's just there's a, there's a lot of, of interesting trees, you know, nice yep. old mature Scots pines, they look really good. So we'll go find one of those. Super. And as well as photography, you are a bit of a writer as well. There has been an inspiration, one book in particular, I believe, which has really driven your love of the mountains. Yeah, for sure. So that's The Living Mountain by Nan Shepherd, which I think has become much more widely known in recent years than, than it used to be. I think it's you know a book that's kind of been rediscovered. You know, you probably know Nan Shepherd is, is on the five pound note these days, so she's obviously been <laughs> taken into the hearts of, of people of Scotland. But I think particularly here in the Cairngorms, where she did her walks and saw the things that she saw to write that book, it's a very special feeling to be in the same place, you know, a hundred years later and and still be able to connect with, with the things that she's talking about. There's something very, very poetic about the way that she writes and the way that she draws a link between the landscape and particularly the living landscape, I think that's very important, and, and just her as a living person in it. As I like to say, a part of it, not a part from it. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the way that the book opens up, within the first couple of lines, she's just got you on a hook. I think it opens up by saying something like, you know, summer in the Cairngorms can be as delectable as honey or it can be a roaring scourge. And that's just too... Summer on the high plateau can be as delectable as honey. It can also be a roaring scourge. To those who love the place, both are good, since both are part of its essential nature. And it is to know its essential nature that I am seeking here. To know, that is, with the knowledge that is a process of living. This is not done easily nor in an hour. It is a tale too slow for the impatience of our age, not of immediate enough import for its desperate problems. It is, for one thing, a corrective of glib assessment. One never quite knows the mountain, nor oneself in relation to it. However often I walk on them, these hills hold astonishment for me. There's no getting accustomed to them. So let's keep going a wee bit. Let's get in front of one of these big trees and then we can get something to write home about. And uh, once again now, it's just a question of sort of dancing around and trying to find a nice shot. So we just need to move to the right a little bit okay. and then we can uh, get a view in between these little Scots pines, that's it. I enjoy camping out here quite often once we get into proper spring and summer and it's amazing how a forest comes to life at night and if you're not used to it, it is freaky, especially the deer. We have a lot of roe deer in, in, in this patch of woods. This is, this is great just here. Yeah, we've got a lot of roe deer and they bark like dogs. If you've never heard it before, you would think it's a dog. You know, when it's four o'clock in the morning and it's, you know, you're a wee bit nervous because you're camping out in the woods for the first time. There's all sorts of strange noises and breezes and things scratching at your tent. And then suddenly there's this kind of <laughs> right next to your tent. You're like, oh my word, what was that? This is how I'm going to yeah, die. So, yeah. <laughs> but they're, big, they're great things. They're very pretty. It's just so peaceful. There's no one else around, obviously. But it's all to ourselves. And it's just 
the sound of silence. Yeah, it's, it's my favourite sound. It's, oh, silence is, is special. Um, yeah, silence is not a lack of anything. It's something that kind of arrives when everything else disappears. Yeah, it connects with something inside you. Okay, let's see how that turned out. Yep. Okay, good. I think that's for one. So, yeah, happy that I've got something now that I can use. That's good. And good timing too, because that's the sunset just behind us, and we've got the moon out as well. Yeah, magic time to to be out. It's quite nice just to take a nice long, slow walk home at this time, and just watch the stars come out and the birds start to, to to sing in the evening as well. So that's a good evening. And could it be time for a dram? Do you think? I, th I think it's possible. David Russell, thanks very much for your time with us on the hills and showing us another side to the Cairngorms. Pleasure. Thanks for that. I'm Lucy Ford and I work for the Cairngorms National Park Authority as a conservation engagement officer. It's early morning and we've just arrived at Anagach Woods outside Granton on Spey. The nature sounds in the background are calling us in. There's a roe deer. If you look through the front. Oh, wow. There's a roebuck, a male roe deer, and he's spotted us and he's just standing there looking at us. Let's see what the forest trails have to offer. Roe deer are beautiful. I always mm. think the roe deer, it's like they've got little painted faces, so if you see them quite close up, they're... They look like they've got perfect eyeliner on and they're just stunning <laughs> animals. So you never tire. Like I walk in here regularly and I never tire of seeing a roe deer. It doesn't matter how many times you see them, you still get that, oh, it's a roe deer. Yeah. So that's lovely to see this morning. And we've been here for, what, maybe 45 seconds and already yeah. we're clocking up the wildlife. Yeah, already. It's just amazing. Okay, let's continue. What else won't we see today? Um, this is a really nice forest for squirrels. Mm -hmm. So you see the red squirrels darting around and you quite often hear them scrabbling up the trees. I, I was down the other day and there was two chasing each other around the trees. So the squirrels are quite prolific in the forest. So hopefully we'll get to see one. But mm -hmm. that's the joy of wildlife watching. You never know what you're going to see. And red squirrels are pretty rare now, right? The grey squirrels have more or less removed them from much of Scotland. Yeah, they, they are quite rare. Um, the Cairngorms is kind of like a really safe territory for them. We're so lucky they come into our gardens and everything. Oh. And it's really easy to forget, because we see the red squirrels all the time, it's easy to forget how special they are. And it's not until you're out with people visiting the park and suddenly they'll be so excited because they've seen a red squirrel. I've had people in tears because they've been wanting to see a red squirrel for so long. And it's when you have those special moments with individuals when they're so overwhelmed and blown away by seeing something. It makes it really special. What kind of trees are we looking at around here? It's quite thick forest on either side of us. Well path, very clearly path, but you can tell there's a lot of life and history in these woodlands. So this is Caledonian pine forest. These are the Scots pine. It's the carpet of the forest that makes this forest so special. And they're like, what's so different is this lovely understory of plants that you get. And that's because these aren't plantations. So the trees are not in rows, growing like lollipops like mm. you get in the plantations. Um, these are more natural. So the sunlight comes down and it allows the heathers and the blueberry to grow. So this 
green spiky stuff is a blueberry. Yeah. And that's, I think, what makes this forest feel really different is the blueberry and the heathers and the juniper that you get growing in this under mid-storey. Uh -huh. And it makes the forest feel really welcoming and warm and it just doesn't have that starkness. It has more of a wild, mm. if you understand that, yes, it's, yeah, definitely. look about it. Have you had any particularly memorable wildlife experiences, very personal ones to you that you can really remember that stand out? Mm. Um, I've been lucky enough to see lots of wildlife, pine martins that are very secretive, very elusive. I've seen them out in the middle of the day with kittens running over log piles. That's, that's yeah. really special. I've been lucky enough to see capercaillie. But you, oh, there's a red squirrel jumping yeah. down through the trees. Oh, you can yeah. see his tail. Just a <laughs> flash of a tail. Yeah. Oh, there he is again. <laughs> and it was the sound of his claws. Oh, oh he's jumping. His claws on the trunk that head. alerts you to it. So you just got to listen out for these little scrabbles in the trees. It looks like a very happy red squirrel, that yeah, one. Very spry. Doing lots of springing around. So again, we're on one of the main tracks in the forest and we're seeing a red squirrel. Yeah, so yeah. it's just amazing. Hello. And this red squirrel here, he's quite bold. He's springing about quite happy for us to watch and we're showing off but some of them will be a lot more shy. So what kind of wildlife tips do you have for spotting these guys? Any wildlife, if you're out wildlife watching, my first tip is just enjoy it because people will they'll, they'll go out and they'll be like, right, I want to see, say it was a red squirrel. I'm going out today and I want to see this red squirrel. And I always say, yeah, it's great. And, but enjoy, enjoy the journey that you're on to see that wildlife because it's almost the, the seeking and that is part of the journey. So, so the walking through the woods and looking at the habitat and taking in the surroundings and stopping and listening and just being in mm. the habitat is half of it. And then almost seeing the species you're looking for, seeing a red squirrel is icing on the cake. But don't take, don't make that just a fundamental thing because I don't want people going home disappointed that they didn't see one. We were lucky this morning that we were seeing a red deer and a red squirrel. Yeah. We could have come down here half an hour later and not seen anything. But that doesn't mean that you haven't enjoyed your experience of being in the forest. Yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, there's another roe deer. Yeah. Bouncing around. You have to really train your, your eyes you and your mindset, don't you? You just see the movement, you? don't you? And then yeah. you can just tune. There it goes. You can yeah, just see. Yeah, there's the wee tail. The... Oh, yeah. Bob went up. A little Bambi. Oh, two. Another oh, yeah, one. so you go. There's, that's a pair of them together. That's a Scottish safari. Are they on the tree there? Oh, See yeah. the tree in front of us? That's a tree creeper. So these are really funny little birds in that they just, you find them on the bark and they look in the crevices on the Scots pine. Uh -huh. The bark is really fissured, so you've got all these crevices in it. And they're looking for insects in the crevices. Um, they only ever go up the tree, so they'll fly to the bottom and then climb up. So I always think they look like little mice on the tree and they're beautiful they they look like they've got little characters the way they just rip around the trees mm. and they're just looking for insects but this is just a great example of you just stop so yeah. we just stood on the path here we're looking out into into the forest it's a bit of a clearing area and we've been here a couple of minutes and we've seen we're watching a tree creeper flitting around the trees we've seen a squirrel we've seen a roe deer two roe deer we haven't and moved. That's, that's why sometimes if you're just on a mission and you're just walking, 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 
It's just really nice to stop. Mm. Mm -hmm. We go along this little trail, and there's a little trail that goes up and into the woods. Yep. You're taking us slightly off, yeah. off track so, here. Um, you get a lot of these little historic trails that weave through the forest. I just thought I'd bring you up here off the beaten track just so that we could listen to the bird song because it's a beautiful morning, beautiful spring morning. Another thing I always try and get across to people when they're out in the woods is we all live really busy lives these days. We're all rushing around trying to get everything done. And sometimes it's just really nice to just stop and just sit and just listen. Just being outdoors is really good for us and we all need to do it so I think sometimes just stopping and just taking it in just taking a moment is really important it's like the easiest and the hardest thing in the world to just sit and do nothing it isn't is, it yeah. it is yeah. yeah but in a place like this right now it feels pretty easy Well, what a wonderful walk. I feel so relaxed already. So, so Lucy Ford, thank you for, for sharing this with us. You're more than welcome. It's been beautiful to be out in the woods. Any excuse to come out and share it with anyone is, is always a pleasure. Yep, well said. Now that I feel rejuvenated and re-energised, it's time to bring this episode to a close but I've decided to take the scenic route back to the big city lights and from Granton on Spey, I'm going to be heading south on the snow roads ending in Blair Gowrie. It's a 90 mile epic road trip that takes in some of the very best of the Scottish Highlands. So until next time then, happy travels. For more stories from Scotland, listen and subscribe to 100,000 Welcomes. And if we've inspired you to visit Scotland, plan your trip at visitscotland.com forward slash podcast.